0: All right, let's turn to Exodus chapter 2. So we should be in Exodus 15, um, but we're going to back it up a bit. We're going to go back and take a deeper dive, and in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we're going to look at um, Jacobed, um, uh, Yahweh of glory. Uh, Yahweh's glory. Uh, what a great name she has. And um, we'll read of this. Of course, what we're going to pick up at is... The story is Pharaoh is trying to wipe out all the young male children that are being born to the Hebrew slaves in the land of Egypt. They're afraid that if the numbers grow too large that they could join together with another force and overthrow them. And so they're trying to stop the growth of these people. And so this is the goal. This is the, the law of the land, is to take your child, your son, And throw uh, him into the Nile River. So we pick up the scene in verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. (coughs) So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him. Dabbed it with asphalt. And Pitch put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister, Miriam, stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened, it was a child. And behold, the baby wept So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, as she pops out of the reeds, right? Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought to him Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew you out of the water got a few points we want to draw out about this family. Of course, as Mother's Day, we want to look at a, a godly mom. And Jochebed certainly is among the godly women of Scripture. And raising her children, not just Moses, but Miriam, the one in the reeds here, and also Aaron. These are the three children that she has. And they play a prominent role in the plan of God to preserve the nation of Israel. And so the first thing I want to look at here is that is to note that she was a woman of faith. We're not told the specific word that she was given but it's not <clears throat> excuse me it's not hard to imagine how the Lord might have come to them and the thoughts that must have come into their mind uh, ordained of the Lord a plan to preserve this child they don't, maybe, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Scripture's silent. Know what is all planned for this young man. But Moses is going to be the guy that is going to be raised up. And it's going to lead the children of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery. is going to preserve the nation. The significant thing that he preserves is the nation, but also specifically the tribe of Judah through whom Jesus would descend. Uh, he, uh, Moses is a Levite. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. But in him preserving the nation, specifically this tribe, the hope remains alive that the seed of the woman would one day come and would destroy Satan and reverse the curse. And so that is kind of our setup here for what's going on. But we read in the New Testament, Hebrews eleven twenty three. 23... For by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So she was a woman of faith. By faith, she did this. She didn't know how it was going to turn out. She had a thought. She had an idea. It seemed to be good. The family decided that they were going to make this ark. They were going to make it waterproof. They were going to put it down by where the princess comes to bathe. And Miriam was going to hide in the reeds with a rehearsed line. Can I call one of the Hebrew women for you? That that she may nurse this child. And so this was the plan. Was it going to work? Well, they had faith that it was going to work. But they didn't have the facts. They didn't know how it was going to play out. And yet she steps forward and she walks in faith. Faith is so important. Faith for salvation. Your own personal faith. I believe in Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross. That he rose for my sins. That he rose from the dead three days later. As ascended to the right hand of the Father. And all who put faith and trust in him can receive forgiveness of sins and have the hope of eternal life. Amen. Faith in that is important, right? You've got to believe that in order to have salvation. But there's, there's that living faith too, right? So, you know, we, we don't walk by sight, but we walk by what? Faith. By faith. And then there's actually the gift of faith, but I'm not going to get into that today. Let's just talk about walking by faith. You're saved, you have faith in the Lord, but you need to walk in faith. And this is what Jacobed and Amram do, Miriam does, but this is what you need to do as well, Mom. Dad, you need to be a family of faith where you are trusting the Lord. You have implicit confidence in your King Jesus and your children, they need to see that faith. They need to see it lived out loud. They need to see it talked about. They need to see it prayed about. They need to see you repent when you fail to be that man or woman of faith. If they've seen you fall don't just gloss over it like it was nothing. Age-appropriate conversation with them about your failure is so important. You know, a lot of times, like, well, you know, a bunch of hypocrites. Well, what's a hypocrite? Is a hypocrite somebody that sins and repents? That is not a hypocrite, is it? That's called human right there. That's, that's just what we all are as believers. We make mistakes. A hypocrite is somebody who sins and then acts like they didn't. And continues to put out this air of spirituality. And that's that that person who has that log in their eye. And and nobody wants that. Nobody can tolerate that. So we, we need to be honest about where we are. But your faith needs to be lived out for your kids to see. It is so important. They need to see your faith lived out in your service. Using your spiritual gift. If, if you don't walk in the gifting that the Lord has given to you, and the Lord has given every one of you who is a believer a spiritual gift, another Bible study, but read 1 Corinthians 12. Every single one of you, not, not your natural-born talent, your natural-born talent can converge with a spiritual gift that comes with you, and it becomes kind of like the one-two punch. So that's great. So maybe you have the natural talent of, of, of you know, music, and, um, and the Lord calls you to speak. And I would put leading worship in the category of prophecy because all the songs that we sing are speaking forth the word of the Lord, aren't they? It's telling us the heart and the mind of God. It's calling us to action. And so this is what a prophet does. It speaks forth the, the word of the Lord. So now you have this gifting and it comes together with, with that, um, that skill. And it's a beautiful thing. But every one of you has a spiritual gift. You need to walk it out. You need to live it out. It says in Corinthians at the household of Stephanus, um, and I'm pretty sure it's a King James Version. And um, I said this last service and I started to double guess myself. It's either in the King James Version or it is the definition of the word when you look at it in the original Greek, but is that they were addicted to ministry. Addicted to ministry. Every one of our houses should be this. Well, I'm not a pastor. <laughs> Neither was he. I mean, we we are people that have been saved by the grace of God. He is coming back. We will give an account for how we live our life. And he's given us a spiritual gift. You need to be addicted to Christian service and ministry. That, That just should be it. Out of gratitude, it is your reasonable act of worship. Let them see it. If you are, listen, if you don't see the value of church, Are they going to see, now I realize I'm speaking to people that are crammed into a service here, church service, so I'm probably speaking to the wrong crowd. But just in case we need it as a reminder to keep us on track, let them see in you the immense value of the church. You can find all kinds of things to criticize about. But you don't want to do that in front of your kids. You want them to see your faith and your love to serve Jesus and appreciation of it so that they don't just dismiss it. So let them see your faith lived out in service. Let them see your faith in in holiness. Let them see your commitment to walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus because you love him. And the last thing you would ever want to do is offend your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we walk in holiness oh, why is it that we can't watch these types of movies? Because I said so. They're nasty, you little pervert. I mean, you probably wouldn't say that, but, you know, it's just like, you just, you kind of dismiss your kids and you don't engage them in conversation. Obviously, hyperbole there, hopefully. Um, I never did it. He might have done it, I don't know, but I didn't. Um, but, you know, you, you you sit down and you engage them in conversation. Say, why? I'll tell you why. Because... Jesus died on the cross for those very things. And it may not be real, but it's portraying something and it's being elevated and it's being esteemed. And we are not to put our eyes upon anything that is, that is not lovely. And so I don't want to go and, and, and just embrace something and take it in that Jesus died on the cross for. And we give them a purpose for it. So they see the faith that we have to walk in obedience and obey the commands. They see our faith and following God's divine order for the family. And maybe for some of you moms in here, you're like, yeah, but my husband. You don't know my husband. And that's why I don't follow the order. That's why I'm not in submission to him. That's why I don't respect him because he's not earned the respect. Let me tell you something. Is That is a disobedience against the Lord. He has laid down, and this is a whole other Bible study, but I'm just going to give it to you quick. The Lord has put the man, the husband, as the leader of the home. He is to love you. He is to take care of you. He he is to to serve you. He is to nourish and cherish and wash you in the word. Ephesians chapter 5. That's what you should have in a Christian husband. If he's not doing that, it makes it much harder for you to do your part. I understand that but it does not absolve you from doing your part because the commands of God are still there. But it's so hard. Well, to the humble, he gives more what? More grace. Ask him for the grace to live it out. But what you don't want to do is you see your husband's rebellion against the divine order, not being the man that he's supposed to be. So you rebel and you don't follow the divine order. And now it drops down to your kids. And what happens there? Now there's a lack of divine order in the family. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. This is not to be underestimated. I mean, you know, if, if you as a, a wife are in rebellion or a husband in a rebellion to the divine order and you're trying to fix your kids, I, I, I'll tell you how to fix them. Step number one, fix yourself. And then begin to deal with them. Because as you submit to the divine order, even if somebody in that process, husband or wife, is not doing what they're supposed to, I promise you the Lord will honor your obedience to him. And it will, it will provide an example, at least some example, of the divine order. But what's the order for kids to be in submission and obedience to their parents? So that's the order. So, you know, live it out. You say, well, I don't know. I just can't see it. Yes, so let them see your faith and obedience to the Lord. Let them see your faith in trials. You're not panicked. You're not freaked out. You're not raging against that family or against that corporation or against your government. They don't hear this rage that's coming out of you. Oh, you can speak of the things that are going on honestly but they see somebody that is a man and a woman of faith. So important. She was not only a woman of faith, she was also a woman of wisdom. She hid Moses. You know, she made this this ark for him. She sent Miriam. I mean, we don't read it, but doesn't it sound like Miriam had rehearsed the line with mom a few times? I mean, what mom's going to send their daughter out without rehearsing? You know, what are you going to say again? Let's go over it again. Mom, I got it. Just say it again. You know, what are we, what are you going to say? I said, well, do you want me to call for one of the Hebrew women to come? and Yes, that's it. I don't say my name, until she asks, then you say, I know just the person for you. So this is, this is wisdom that was given to her. The Pharaoh had made a decree, Exodus one twenty two, that all the Hebrew sons should be thrown into the Nile. And so you have the drama surrounding the birth of children. This is the Old Testament, isn't it? I mean, you see the drama that exists all through the Old Testament. You see it nationally at times as well. You can see it when Haman wanted to destroy the entire uh, nation of Israel. You see it when Herod wanted to destroy all the the, uh, children under the age of two, all the male children under the age of two that had been born in the area of Bethlehem because Jesus had been born. The king of the Jews had been born, and he wants to destroy them. You see it even in the the events in recent history, like with Holocaust and the continued anti-Semitism, Which may not be as obvious to you why that's still satanic. But I'll tell you why. Everything that Satan did from Genesis until the birth of Jesus was to stop the first coming of Jesus Christ. That's what you see. That's the Old Testament. He's going to stop it. God is raising up a nation through whom the deliverer will come. And you see all of this drama around that. Now Jesus has come and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. But what did he say? I'm coming back again. And when Jesus comes back the second time, what is he coming to do? The Bible's so clear about this. He's coming to rescue Israel in the Great Tribulation. If Israel's wiped out, who would Jesus come to rescue? There would be nobody to rescue. And so I believe that Satan is still, like he's tried to stop the first coming, is trying to stop the second coming as well. And so we need to to have wisdom as it applies to our own lives of how should I protect my children? How should I bring them up to be uh, little ladies and, and young men that follow Jesus Christ? Malachi talks about how the union of a husband and wife are to give the Lord a godly offspring. That's what Malachi says. The union of a husband and wife and their children should be raised to bring and give the Lord a godly offspring. And isn't he deserving of that? Isn't he worthy of that from our lives? And so in this process of raising up godly offspring, discipleship in the home, we need to have wisdom. And the Lord has promised to give wisdom. He's promised to speak to us. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask, and we will pray for that wisdom at the end of our service for all of you moms, for all of you dads as well. But we need to have the wisdom to to do the right thing. And and I think the first thing we need to realize is understand that there's a godless king in our age as well, the king of this age, the prince of the power of the air. And he wants to destroy the faith of God of those that are coming up as Bible-believing Christians. And there, there's all kinds of men and women that are out there. And I, it, it's strange to me that they could have it as a goal, like, let's destroy their faith. I remember first um, first uh, you know, college class I had, um, Orange Coast College, in, uh, there in uh, Costa Mesa, California, went into the history class, and, you know, the history teacher essentially said, I don't recall the exact words, but he goes, my goal is to any of you who are Bible-believing Christians is to show you how foolish your faith is. You know, I sat up and like, yeah, just try. I mean, just try to do that. And so, um, you know, this, but of course, he would never allow any questions. You could never rebuttal. You just had to listen to whatever he had to say. It was a big lecture hall class. And so there are those people that want to do that. There are people that are, they set up websites and they set up entire um, blogs and, and, you know, social media uh, outlets to destroy the faith of our kids. we got to understand we need wisdom in the midst of a godless uh, age. And um, I just would encourage you parents, and I think most of us are pretty aware to this now, but you do know, and if you don't, let me tell you, that Just turning a device over to your kids that has access to the internet is such a terrible idea. There is so much out there. So I don't think they'll go and find it. They don't have to go find it because they're looking for your kid. They're looking for you. And this stuff comes knocking on your door. You don't have to go find it. It finds you. And we need to be so careful and we need to have wisdom. And, you know, and just... In what our kids are hearing at school, what, among their peers, what's being spoken of. And you've got to engage it around the conversation. You cannot take your hands off the wheel. This is what I have observed happen many times. Newborn baby, so exciting. Little toddlers, got to have them in church, want to do all these things. And then they turn into teenagers, you're like, whatever. No, not whatever. You've got to double down. That's when, you know, you've got the, you have these easy years. Yes, easy years right now. It's easy to raise uh, small children. Try raising teenagers and then adults. You'll love the toddler years, I promise you. (laughs) And so, you know, you you can't take your hands off the wheel. You need more wisdom than ever before to speak to your kids and to know the threat of the the Pharaoh and the Nile that's out there. And each one of our kids are going to face these things differently, won't they? If you have multiple children, you know this. You know that you can say like, well, they never struggled with this, but they struggled with that. And you do the best that you can to point them to Jesus. But you need wisdom and the Lord will give it. Let me just say this. When the Lord puts a thought, let let me even back up. When you have the thought that comes into your mind, you know what? I don't think they should go over to that person's house. You're like, well, why would I think that? I know nothing bad about this family. I know nothing bad about this, this child. Um, that's just, that's, I shouldn't do that. And yet the thought remains with you, act on that thought. That's right. Act on that thought. Now, you don't need to post it on, you know, Facebook. My kids are not going to this house because the Lord is, don't do that. Just quietly say, we're not doing that. We're not going to do that. And there were times when Rebecca would say, yeah, the kids aren't going to, you know, the girls aren't going to have a sleepover there. They're not going to do this. Tyler's not going to do that. And I'd be like, why? I, what's wrong with that? And she goes, I don't know. But I'm warned in my spirit. I'm like, then we're, that's what we're doing. And, you know, um, were we ever um, maybe made a wrong decision and we we're overprotective? Probably. But I'm willing to live with that. I'm willing to love, live with being overprotective when I think I'm doing that. Now, being panicked and fear-driven and, and just trying to you know, hide your kids off in a monastery, not that. Our, our kids, probably you know some of you will judge me for this, but our kids, they went to public schools. Our kids, they, they had devices, but we taught them. This is what our thought was, was devices. They're going to have them one day. I want to teach them how to have it. I want to teach them how to use this responsibly and be a steward of it. So it was very limited, and we, you know, we walked through it in that way. The kids were at public school, but we were super involved. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we could have been more involved. But I served, um, at the time my kids were in school, as a superintendent um, advisory board, parent advisory board. My wife served on the, as, you know, the principal's advisory board at the school. We were doing, we were at everything that happened. We reviewed, you know, um, the curriculum, you know, for sex education when it came. And they would ask us what. I mean, we were involved. And, and so we, we, we were paying attention to what was being said. And um, we, we, you know, it took a lot of time to do that. But that was our choice, you know, up and through um, eighth grade. They were in public school. So I'm not saying, you know, blow up all the devices, you know, retreat, retreat, retreat. You've got to seek the Lord on those things. And whatever wisdom the Lord gives to you, you're not going to find me second-guessing you on that. Because the Lord knows what's ahead for your kids And so you make those decisions. But we sought wisdom from the Lord. And um, her wisdom was to uh, make an ark that would protect him from the Nile. You have to protect your children from the Nile of this world, the course of this age. And, you know, what is the best way to do that? On the negative side, you're going to have to insulate them from some things. But on the positive side, give them the word. give Cover them in prayer. Give them love. Let them know that they are loved. Engage them in conversation. That's easy. That's super easy, right? No, it's not easy. It is not easy to engage your kids in conversation. We're just down in Alabama. Um, grandson, um, Colton, i um, five years old, in kindergarten, he's coming off the bus, and um, by the way, he plays baseball, it has nothing to do with the study, but he plays baseball, and his number is 45, so he's Colt 45 out on the field. <laughs> um, so he comes off the bus, uh, and I'm like, hey, Colton, um, you know, how was your day? Good. And I'm like, all right, well, how did you, tell me about your day. I'm not ready to talk about it right now. <laughs> I'm like, five years old? Five years old? We talked about it later. But, you know, you can't let that be the final word, can you? My kids would come up and say, hey, how was school? Oh, it was fine. Well, tell me about it. I don't know, nothing happened. (laughs) No, something happened. I guarantee you something happened. And um, so my way, I said, listen, I want you to tell me something good that happened. I want you to tell me something concerning or hurtful that happened. I want you to tell me one thing you learned. And so, like, ah, Dad, I don't want to. I'll say, all right, well, when you're ready, then we will, but you're not doing, you're not going out, you're not engaging in anything else until we sit down and have a conversation. And so I, I was very patient on that, and I would wait a long time to make certain that before that day was over, I heard, you have to engage them in conversation. I don't know, one bad thing that happened is this, this girl did this or this guy did that. Wow, okay, How did it, what did you think about it? You know, did you feel bad for them? Did you pray for them? Did you try to witness to them? What, what happened? And you have, to, you have to lead your kids. you got to know what they're dealing with and what they're going through. you got to get in their life so you can give that wisdom and that instruction. Give them a model to follow. Let your life, we talked about that already, but let them follow your life. And then make your, make your house fun. I don't know that I have a verse for that, but it's just make your house fun. Laugh a lot play a lot, you know, serve the Lord like crazy, have your devotions, but have fun and laugh and be together. And um, the world is so hard and the house should be a place of peace. It should be a place of laughter. It should be a place of faith. She was also a woman of courage. She was defying the king's order. She probably was even defying what some of the other Hebrew women had done and they did throw their children into the Nile. Now here she is, the audacity to stand up against the king and what other people were doing, Say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going a different way. I'm going to do it differently. Shaka bed, how dare you do this? You're going to make us all look better. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because this is what wisdom the Lord has given to me for my my son, and this is how I'm going to walk it out. What if the king finds out? It could be bad for all of us. Then it will have to be bad. She was willing to stand and be courageous. Amram and Miriam involved in this. All were willing to stand up and to experience the difficulty. You know, it is interesting to me, this you know, beautiful irony of how Pharaoh decreed that the children should be thrown into the Nile and they'd be drowned so that they could have control over the slaves. But what ends up happening is the child is put into the Nile, is drawn out of the Nile, is raised up, delivers the children of Israel out from underneath the bondage, and leads them across the Red Sea, and the entire Ip- Egyptian army drowns in water. Job 5.13, he catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. That's what happened to Egypt and Pharaoh. But you must be willing to do the bold and courageous thing. You know, when you, mom, are raising that little child, that little baby's born, you give birth to that child, you nurse that child, you care for that child, you, the child cries and comes to you. I mean, you're doing all of these things, all the things that you do as you're going, in. you're so tender and it's so close and it's so exhausting. When you're doing this. And then they begin to get older and that begins, you know, properly so that they become less dependent. But then they get to that point where it's like now you're giving them rules and you can feel the relationship beginning to kind of maybe be uh, breached because of your rules. And there's going to be a temptation to just say, oh, forget it. I just love them too much. I just, I just want to have that same relationship. And I would say, be courageous, mom. Stand up and do the right thing. Don't worry about being a friend to them right now. Be their mother. Be that spiritual mentor to them. And what will happen later is they, it will come back around if you lose it. If you lose that sense of friendship, when they get older, you will be friends with them when they're older, when they're adults. But what they need from you is they don't need another friend. They need somebody that's going to speak the truth to them. They need somebody that's going to love them, is going to model for them, is going to draw boundaries. And listen, being a parent is not for the faint-hearted. You will have to be courageous in the pressures of the world, pressures maybe from even other Christian moms, and you're going to have to stand, you're going to have to be courageous in the face of your kids when they say, I hate you. Well, you know, there's there's some things to do with that, but, you know, you're going to have to just stand your ground. You have to stand your ground and not give in to it and give them what they want when the Lord is giving you clear wisdom or the word of God is telling them how to live their life. You call them to that. So beware that it's going to take incredible courage to stand against the tide of this world. Now, I would even say to those of you who have your children that have, that are raised or maybe they're, they're still in your house, but you're dealing with a time of, of rebellion against you and the ways of the Lord. This is hard if you force me to go to church, if you make me sit down for a quiet time, I will never follow the Lord. Be courageous, Mom. Be courageous. And don't give in to those types of threats. You gotta, you're going to need wisdom to know what to say and how to respond. Yelling at them is not the response, right? But you've got to stand your ground. And the Lord will give you wisdom on how to do that. Let me just talk about that for a moment. Some of you that maybe have adult children or grandchildren, and they're not walking with the Lord, and you've raised them to walk with Jesus. You you did the best that you could do, and you would say that you are not perfect. Would anybody say you're not a perfect parent? I, I am not a perfect parent. Never never thought I would be, but I did the the best that we could. So I'm not a perfect parent. And some of you have raised your kids. You've modeled your faith. You, you've, you've stood courageously. And now your kids are so far away from the Lord. You're like, well, what is the point of all of this? What, what, what's happening? You know what? They have a free will. And they've got to come to that place where they decide to follow Jesus Christ on their own. But what you may be experiencing, I know some of you are experiencing it. Because some of you, we've talked about it. And for others of you, it's not been talked about. But this is what you're going through. Your kids are blaming you. That's why they're not a believer. It was you, mom. It was you, dad. It was the pastor. It was a youth pastor. It was, it was those Christians at the church. And that's why I don't believe in Jesus anymore. That's why I don't believe the Bible's inspired. That's why I don't believe there's a hell. That's why I, 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 you know I'm deconstructing my faith. And I don't want to have this anymore. You know, they have to find somebody to be angry at to do that. They have to find somebody to blame. And that is the, what is going on. So I want to say this to you. All that to get to this point. Our Heavenly Father has children that are in rebellion against Him. Would you agree with that? Is He a perfect Heavenly Father? Yeah, He is. So children in rebellion are not necessarily indicative of your failure. And some of you just need to be released from that guilt and that shame that you've been walking around in. Now listen, I'm a realist. Some of you maybe didn't do a good job. It's not just that you weren't perfect. It's like you, you just were, you did everything wrong. What, what do I do? You repent. And you look for the Lord to pour out grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds what? More. More grace for that situation. So you repent of it before the Lord. You repent before your kids, and you tell them what you should have done, and you look for the grace of God to be poured out. But I would imagine there's many of you out there, it's not that you failed to do what you're supposed to do. Your kids are exercising their free will, and they're trying to put the whole thing on you and put a guilt trip on you. It's not you. It is not you. It is their decision. And so... You too need to be courageous. Well, If you know I can't you know, do this and I can't say this and I can't express what I want when I come in the house and I can't live like this and I can't do that, then I'm moving out, then I'm doing this. It's going to crush my heart if you do that. It will crush my heart if you do that. But if you think you're going to manipulate me into not being the man or the woman of God that I have lived my whole life, you don't know me very well. It's very unfair of you to ask me to deny what I've lived my entire life. I'm not going to force you, but don't manipulate me either. I mean, that, this is a conversation you have to have. That's it, I'm out of here. The most painful thing that will happen is if you walk out those doors, but you have to be courageous. Oh, I'd rather have a bad you know, relationship with them and you know, if I got to affirm their sin, I'd rather do that than have no relationship. Don't do that. Your heavenly father doesn't do that. He does not ever affirm the sin. Now listen, you don't have to be mean, okay? You don't have to be ugly. And and I I pray the Lord will give you the wisdom to stand and to be courageous. She trained her children, right? We don't have a a lot of what she did, but Moses and Miriam played a significant role in their ministry. So she was uh, one that trained her children. Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Mount, in Horeb, Mount Sinai. When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me. All the days they live on earth, and that they may teach their children. And you have that other one that you can look up on your own, very similar. We read it at every baby uh, dedication. But do you see this? It's got to be in your heart. It's got to be in your heart. And then as it's in your heart, then you train your children. And what is it that you're training them to? Well, towards the end, middle of verse 10, it says that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on earth. That is our objective. We are training children, discipling children, to fear the Lord all the days of their life. You're going to teach your kids all kinds of things. You're going to teach them... You know, good manners. At a certain point in time, you teach them to use the fork, you know, and the spoon. Start the spoon, not the fork. Um, dangerous business to start with the fork. But, you know, you're going to go through, you're going to teach them all of these things, not to throw their food, not to throw their bottle, you know. You're going you're to teach them, you know, not to stick their finger in the wall socket. All, all of these things you're going to teach them to do when they're little. And then they're going to get older, and you're going you're to have to teach them to take a bath. Okay, go take a bath. Did you take a bath? Yeah. You didn't turn the water on. Oh, yeah. No, you got to use water when you take the bath, okay? All right, so let's turn the water on. Okay. They come out. Did you use soap or shampoo? Well, I got wet. No, no, no. Back in there, use soap and shampoo. And then they come out. You're like, you got to rinse that shampoo out of your hair, son. That, that's, you can't, you got to get the shampoo out. And then that's all done. And then it's like, listen, if you would dry off, it'd be so much easier to put on your socks. just Just trust me on this one. Dry off before you put your clothes on. We teach our kids everything. You know, put the socks on, put your shoes on. Other foot, tie it, not like this, like this, like that. You know, we teach them all these things. Shake their hands, look them in the eye when you say hello. Don't interrupt, you know, raise your hand, be kind, go say hello to your friends. (laughs) We teach them everything. Brush your teeth, you know, practice your clarinet, You you know, get a good night's sleep. You got a game tomorrow, eat well. All of these things we're teaching our kids. Do your homework, all of this stuff. It's great. you got to do that. But the most important thing you have to do is to teach your kids what? To fear the Lord all the days of their life. I'd rather my kids walk around with shoes on the wrong feet and fear God. That is the most important thing. It is a lifelong journey you're on, and that is what you're to do, is to train them to fear the Lord, to reverence the Lord and worship Him. That is the goal. lastly, She was rewarded. Again, Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. That's not bad. That's not bad raising three kids like that. Sure, it was God's sovereignty and his plan. But you know what? The Lord allowed those three to be raised in that house. Because in that house, the Lord knew that there was faith. And that these three children were going to need to have faith. And so... Aaron becomes the high priest. Uh, Miriam becomes a significant person, both in the preservation of Moses and, and at other times. Sometimes she steps out of line, but she's a, she's a key player. We'll read of her as we go through. Moses delivers them. They, they, she was rewarded for all of that hard work, all of those tears, all of that seeking of the Lord. John 3 verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, I believe that's written not of his biological children, but of the children of faith. However, I'll make the application to us as parents. And I can tell you, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And um, I am so thankful to the Lord that my kids are following Jesus. I am so thankful that they are walking in truth. That truth is meaningful to them. And that the truth of Scripture is meaningful to them. You know, it happens. We have some of you have children that walk with the Lord, and some of your children, same household, don't. And this is, you know, you understand this verse. You know what it's like for those that do, and you know what it's like for those that don't. But you got to put the time in, you got to give it to the Lord, and just pray that they will walk with Jesus. And um, it's so important, though. All of these things I am sharing. I know I'm just like, psh, 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 I'm just shooting all this stuff at you. It's online. Go listen to it again. Um, I, again, not perfect. But um, I really feel like the, I had a great model in my mom and in my dad of a Christian home. And so I was able to take that and to walk that out with a godly woman in Rebecca and and. Um, and so what I'm sharing with you, it's not stuff I've read in a book. I, I'm telling you the stuff we did, and we lived it out. Now, you may disagree. You say, well, I don't think that's necessary. That's fine. That's fine. You can say it's not necessary, and you may be 100% right. I don't know what part you're disagreeing with. And I'm said, but I'm telling you this. I wouldn't do it any different. Everything I just said to you, I would do it all over again. I would do it all over again. And I'm praying that my, my kids, and I'm watching my kids do this with their children as well. So, I would encourage you, most of what I've said is just right from Scripture, and you can see it. And those things where it's like, hey, that's kind of a Warner way of doing it, I would say, you know, not the Lord, but I say, but I think I've got the mind of the Lord. Do it that way. Walk it out that way. And, um, and watch what the Lord will do. So, praise the Lord for moms who have modeled faith. Praise the Lord that they read the Bible to us, that they prayed with us. They said no to certain friendships. They encouraged us to serve and be at church. They cheered us on on the the ball field or in the dance hall or wherever we were. Praise the Lord that they were there. And um, let your moms know that. Encourage your wife as she walks in that. Stand up in faith for your children. Let them see your faith. Prepare an ark for them as they go out into the Nile. What is the wisdom you need to protect them? And then, of course, most of all, you need to be pointing them to Jesus and faith in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and your truth. And Lord, we, we can see so clearly the floodwaters of the Nile in our day. And we can see, Lord, the way the enemy is going after your children, the children that you've entrusted to us to raise to fear you. And Lord, we plead with you, give us wisdom. Give us grace. Draw our children back to you, Lord. You are worthy of their service. You are worthy of their worship. You are worthy of their lives. So Lord, bring them back to you, we pray. Send people into their life. Let their the rebellion just come to a complete crashing disaster. And that, Lord, no matter how far they have gone, that you will bring them back to yourself. We pray for the little ones, Lord, that they would, all the days of their life, walk with you and worship you and serve you. I want to just give you a chance maybe to receive a little bit of grace from the Lord yourself. Maybe you've been walking in guilt and maybe even depression because you just feel like you have ruined your kids. Hey, if you pointed them to Jesus and you're still walking with Jesus, you showed them the most important piece. So don't walk in guilt. That's not going to help anybody. If you need to repent, then repent. If you repented, then receive forgiveness. And now look for the grace of God to come upon your life. Be set free from that guilt and that condemnation. But be set free from the lie that would say it was a waste of time. It didn't work. Okay. The Lord has rebellious children. Don't be surprised if you have rebellious children. I'll give you a moment just to pray for for those people that you're thinking about that are not walking with Jesus ask the Lord for them. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for godly women our moms our wives sisters aunts cousins lord these godly people that you've put around us as we raise our kids as they influenced us as we were being raised lord put a blessing upon them fill them with joy bless bless our sisters and it is in the name of jesus we ask these things amen